Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, and welcome to the 616th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily readings from me and other writers over at Beyond the 90 at beyondthe90.substack.com and locally on Red Bull News Network. But as always, this show is dedicated to the American game. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Ladies and gentlemen, it is almost time. In two days, on Thursday night, December the 7th, on Fox Sports 1 and on TUDN, also Univision, the 2024 Copa America draw will be held down in Miami, Florida, in downtown Miami, as we will get to see the best of the best from South America's top 10 national teams battling it out with six of CONCACAF's nations to go for that trophy. And it will be here in the United States for the first time since the Copa America Centenario. And we already have the locations of the 14 different venues that will be a part of the Copa America tournament. But also we have the predetermined pot one draw as the schedule has come out for the 2024 Copa America, once again, run by Bowl, but in agreement, allowed to be played in the United States and in CONCACAF. And here are the predetermined positions already for the four nations that are going to be involved in Pot 1. Two of them are from Conmebol, the other two are from CONCACAF. Representing Group A is the defending Copa America champions, Argentina. In Group B, it will be Mexico. In Group C, it will be the United States. And in Group D, it will be in Brazil. And then the rest will be drawn for Thursday, December the 7th. And here are the 14 venues that will be selected and have been selected for the 2024 Copa America, everything in the United States. Here they are. Once again, the opening match will be at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. The rest of the matches, MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, the Bank of America Stadium in downtown Charlotte, North Carolina, Explora Stadium in downtown Orlando, Florida. AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas. The Q2 Stadium in Austin, Texas. 
State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Allegiant Stadium in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California. Children's Mercy Park in Kansas City, Kansas. Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri, just on that border over the state. And finally, matches and the championship final will be held at the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens in my, near Miami, Florida, at the home of the Miami Dolphins. So what a star-studded filled venues we are going to have here for the Copa America. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a mini World Cup feeling when we get to the Copa America next summer. It will be a little bit of a preview of what we're going to see here. Now, once again, the two play-in matches will be during the March International window of 2024, and it will be in between matches for the CONCACAF Nations League. Canada will be taking on Trinidad and Tobago, while Costa Rica taking on Honduras. The winners in the one-match playoff, doubleheader, will be joining the United States, Mexico, Jamaica, and Panama for the rest of the groups, wherever they're drawn, on Thursday, December the 7th. And, ladies and gentlemen, once again, for those of you wondering about the pots that are going to be selected, here they are once again. Uh, as we already said in pot one, already been predetermined, but will be drawn anyway. Argentina, Brazil, United States, and Mexico. Pot number two, we will have Uruguay, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. In pot three, Chile, Venezuela, Paraguay, and from CONCACAF, Panama. And finally, in pot four, Jamaica, Bolivia, and the two playing winners, they will be determined, of course, who will win playing matches in March. This is exciting, and this is a lot of fun, because what we're going to see here are the best national teams in South America that continue to battle each other, match in, match out, month per month, when they're scheduled during the international calendars of September, October, November of 2023 and 2024, and then we'll get to, to keep on going in 2025. This is the moment where you would like to think and believe this is the strong test for this U.S. men's national team to battle against. They will not face Argentina or Brazil in the group stage, but in reality, in reality, these are the games that you will hope and pray for a signature win 
for Greg Berhalter. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, you know, you beat Mexico in the Nations League and the Gold Cup in the same year, calendar year. True. But once again, that's a classic go. We're talking about the higher ranked teams in FIFA. And when we look at the international calendar in FIFA, when we take a look at the world rankings as a whole, who do we see at the top? Well, you know, we have we see Argentina as the top ranked nation because they are World Cup champions. Second, France. Third, England, even though it's a little skewed, but they're up there. Belgium is fourth. Brazil is fifth. The Dutch are sixth. The Portuguese are seventh. Spain is eighth. Italy is ninth. Croatia is tenth. Uruguay is eleventh. And currently for the United States, they are in twelfth. Also, even though Morocco is ranked one place below the United States, Morocco is higher in status because they went to the third place match of the World Cup last. So where does Mexico rank? Two spots below the United States at 14th. And when you go to the CONCACAF rankings on their own, through FIFA, United States is one, Mexico is two. So if we're being fair here to Greg Berhalter, where is that signature win? It wasn't the nil-nil draw against England. It's not the, well, you know, it's not the 1-1 draw against Wales. 1-0 over Iran. I mean, look, you got revenge for 1998, but then again, they got dismantled by the Dutch. Once again, once again, where is the signature win coming from? Nowhere. Nowhere whatsoever. Till Greg Berhalter proves to all of us that he can coach these players, this golden generation of talented players for this national team and break through, then questions will still be asked. Will the answers come? I don't know. I really don't know. Because the truth is, We have more questions than answers with this national team. We have more questions than answers on the coach. This is the mediocrity that is hovering over the heads of this national team and of this program and of this federation. Do I think they've made an excellent hire for their U.S. women's national team head coach? Absolutely. I think they got themselves a damn good head coach that knows what she's going to do and how she's going to translate it to these young women that will absolutely improve 
on their status. We all know the retirement of Megan Rapino. It's time for the new generation to step up and make everything better. So, once again, where is that coming from for the U.S. men's national team? Nowhere. Nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Because they would rather pick a yes man than pick a coach that is going to be serious. And finding ways to get this national team to be victorious. CONCACAF is not that hard to dominate. But sadly, when you are as inept as a head coach like Greg Verhalter is, it will not be easy to dominate CONCACAF because it's not just winning on the road. It's also winning at, it's not just winning at home, it's winning on the road. I have no confidence in Burhalter winning on the road in CONCACAF. It's not rocket science. It's nothing to sneeze at at the same time. It's it's just something that should be done easily, plicity. But unfortunately, when you've got uh, a soccer federation that will not find a way to make things work, mediocrity will continue to seep in from the coaches to the players and everywhere else around the federation. You can hope and pray for a win, but the truth is when things are not going right or if it looks good from the start, but then it fizzles out at the end, we have a problem. It's got to be fixed. Time to review the conference finals in both the East and the West. In a recorded interview, I have Mr. Adam Miller from the Massive Report as the Columbus crew go to TQL Stadium in Cincinnati to defeat FC Cincinnati by final three goals to two in extra time. Here's that interview right now. Daniel Feuerstein here on the American Soccer Show as we're going to review the Eastern Conference Final in the 2023 MLS Cup Playoffs. Joining me once again, covering the Columbus crew on the massive report, it is Mr. Adam Miller joining me. Adam, welcome back, and how are you feeling after that final Hell is Real Derby? Hey, Daniel, I am uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me back on. Um I got to tell you, I'm much better than I was uh, at halftime on uh, on Saturday. So I'm uh, obviously buzzing with the results and happy for the team and the fans and excited to see what happens on Saturday. What does it mean to see this club coming back from that deficit? But at the same time, what has Wilfred Nancy shown you in all of Columbus? Why he was the, uh, the best selection to replace Ke- Caleb Porter as the head coach? 
Yeah, uh, I'll start with the Nancy question. I mean, I think it's been a testament to the ownership in the front office, um, just that they've stuck with him because this team in the beginning of the year was um, definitely a work in progress. Uh, but I think it's it's a huge credit to him, obviously, getting the team to the final is always a hard thing to do. And to do it the way that he's done it, playing, um, you know, I would say an attractive style of soccer, I would I would argue it's the best kind of style of soccer in the league in terms of from an entertainment standpoint. And to do that and win is really tough at any level. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's a huge credit to the front office for picking him, sticking with him, and um, obviously a credit for him for figuring out how to play the way he wants to play um, and still be successful. Um, as far as, uh, you know, what it means to me, and, and I would assume the most, most of the um, crew's faithful is, is, you know, hosting MLS Cup, this will be the third time, I think, in nine seasons. Um, and obviously the whole Save the Crew movement and everything else, anytime you're in a position where you're playing big games at home, um, it means a lot to the to the club and to the fans. I can tell you, I'm not ashamed to say I was uh, in tears at full time. I know I talked to my dad after he was, uh, you know, shedding some some tears of joy as well. So it means everything to us. And, um, you know, we're obviously excited to try and bring home another cup on Saturday. Absolutely. We'll see what happens in that final against LAFC. Let's go ahead and recap this one. Uh, didn't start off great for Columbus, obviously. The opening 45 was not that good. But still, though, Brandon Vasquez... Uh, in a tight angle, was able to beat Schulte in the 14th minute for the 1-0 lead. Uh, what did you see on that one? Yeah, it's kind of classic um, hell is real is what I saw. You know, the, the crew this year have been on the ball the majority of the time in all three games, and I thought we started the game really well. And then um, similar to the to the, the first uh, hell is real game, kind of a bad giveaway and turns into a goal pretty quickly. Um, you have to give Cincinnati a little bit of credit. They're very, very good on the counterattack, and those attacking that attacking front three is really good. So um, I want to say it was Farsi maybe that, that had kind of an errant pass and turned into a goal pretty quickly. So, um, you know, it, it was uh, kind of the classic yin and yang between the two teams um, kind of on full display. And, um, you know, a bummer for the crew because I thought they started really well and then um, to then be down 1-0 after, like, I think you said 14 or 15 minutes, um, not a good spot to be in, especially on the road and in that environment. No, absolutely. Uh, it looked like Columbus was going to find a way to get that equalizer. Couldn't. And then we get closer to second half stoppage time. A weird situation. I've never seen that in my entire life, but apparently <laughs> Cincinnati gets the free kick just outside your area or outside the cruise area. You know, in the replay, Brandon Vasquez tripped himself up and gets a free kick for tripping himself up? What the heck? Yeah, I, I've never seen anything like that. You, um, um, my, my wife was not happy with some of the things I was saying um, when I saw the replay of that. It, I mean, it, at least the replays they showed on the, the television, it looks like he's tripping himself. And then, um, you know, maybe in real time, the ref only gets one look at it, of course. But I thought it was pretty obvious that he tripped himself. And then on top of that, Marrera got the yellow, which luckily none of that came back to haunt us too bad, but yeah, I was uh, less than happy after conceding that goal. Yeah, absolutely, and Acosta makes that uh, 2-0 after the uh, free kick was taken, and he curled it inside the far post, but um, you move on, second half, got to hope for good things to, to come. Some good things did happen. Once again, Schulte 
comes up big with a couple of saves and stops Bupenza on that first opportunity in the 51st minute. But then 69th minute comes into play, and VAR comes into play as well after two solid saves again. Uh, Bupenza, who looked like he made it 3-0, got it wiped out due to VAR because of uh, punching the ball into the back of the net. Yeah, yeah, I think Schulte is going to be one of the, the heroes of this playoff run for his performance in Orlando, and then um, certainly that save he made early on Bupenza before the handball, um, really like a world, world-class world save just from the, the distance that he uh, Bupenza was to Schulte and the reactions and, the you know, the save is, is really good. And, and the handball, yeah, one of those where you kind of think you see it in real time and then obviously glad VAR got it right. Uh, I think it's pretty clear and obvious that that can't stand. But it was one of those moments for myself and I'm sure – lots of other crew fans where your heart just kind of drops into your stomach and you're just, you know, kind of praying for a, a good VAR outcome for once, which uh, we ended up getting. But, yeah, Schulte was, was huge. And, you know, if he doesn't make that save on Bupenza, um, we're probably not I'm, – I'm certainly not in as good a mood as I am now. I don't think we're coming back from 3-0 down. So, um, obviously, a, a huge save and, and a world-class one and, and um, great timing and, and worked out really well for the crew. We get to the final 15 minutes of regulation, and it all starts because Cincinnati helps Columbus getting that one to be pulled back to make it 2-1 in the 75th minute. Uh, Alvis Powell gets credited for the own goal. Uh, did you think he actually touched it at first glance, or when you saw the replay, you couldn't believe he put it in his own net? Yeah, I couldn't really tell. I just kind of saw the ball come in, and, and the ball ended up in the back of the net. Obviously, it's pretty obvious on the replay that it hits Powell. But, um, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't tell in real time. I think it's kind of a good example of, um, you know, Nancy brought in Julian Gressel and Christian Ramirez, and they um, changed the game even though neither of them get credit for, for that goal. They both sort of made it and made it difficult for the defenders and for Powell. And sometimes when things aren't going your way, if you can put the ball in a dangerous area, you know, you get a lucky break and, and kind of go from there, and that's what happened on, uh, on Saturday. And I know it's difficult to lose a great player like Lucas Zellerion in the transfer window, but uh, Diego Rossi's been an amazing pickup for Columbus, and it looks like they haven't lost a step, and he gets that equalizer in the 86th. Yeah, yeah, incredible. I thought that Rossi's been really good since he's, since he's come in. I think he fits sort of what Nancy wants out of an attacker, maybe a, a slight bit better than Lucas Zellerion. It feels feels. Um, like I need to go, you know, brush my teeth after saying that. But um, I do think he fits what Nancy wants a little bit better. And, um, yeah, obviously the goal on, on uh, his goal, the second goal Saturday, is a little bit more being in the right place at the right time. It's a lovely little bit of combination play from um, Gressel to Ramirez to Rossi to Cucho, and then it bounces around, and, and Rossi's able to put it in the back of the net. And, and he was fantastic, especially in extra time. And after he scored that goal, I thought he was one of the best players on the field. And that's what you want from, um, you know, your DP signing, especially in the in the middle of summer. And a guy where, yeah, like we, we sacrificed Lucas Zellerion, who's a, a club legend, one of the best players, I think, in club history and, and probably um, in the conversation in league history. Um, and, and losing him is tough. But for Rossi to come up in a big moment like that, um, you know, you feel you feel really good about that if you're a crew fan, um, and you feel really good about kind of the front office again continuing to make good good decisions on on you know the the coaching staff and the player personnel, and, and when those guys come up in, in big moments, it's easy to recognize that. 
So what you're saying is if it would have been a lot worse, you put soap in your mouth instead of the toothpaste? Yes, correct. Yeah. <laughs> i got to have a little fun with you here every once in a while. Adam. Come on. But anyway, uh, extra time comes in. Nothing in the first 15 of extra time, but that moment comes for Columbus in the 115th minute. Cucho Hernandez uh, onside gets a great cross toward him. And then he does a fantastic cross himself to Christian Ramirez. And all he has to do is just sweep the ball into the back of the net with the right foot. And it's 3-2. Not a lot of stoppage time, but it's all over. Yeah, yeah. I think an incredible goal. Um, the ball from Kevin Molino, I think, is, is fantastic. The pass from Cucho is incredible, too, just because... For a guy like Cucho, who's a striker, he wants to score goals, he wants to be the hero, he wants to have that responsibility for him to recognize the right play and make it um, by, by heading that ball across to Ramirez for a tap-in, I think is, um, I think it's, it's, I think just for me, obviously I haven't seen him, it shows growth for him as a player as well. I think when he first got here, he might have tried to take that one himself instead of squaring it across, so... Um, an incredible moment. Um, super, super happy as well for Kevin Molino. He's a guy who um, has gotten a lot of stick, maybe from Crew fans earlier this year for some late game performances. He's come up huge twice in a row now, and um, yeah, I think a really good team goal. And it always felt to me like it was coming. I'm curious your thoughts, Daniel. I'm obviously biased, but I felt like once we scored the second, it seemed like Cincinnati was. Um, you know, down and out, didn't have much left in the tank. I thought we were flying flying all over the field around them, and, and it always felt to me like we were going to find a way to, to score um, in extra time. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if you noticed the same thing, but I was really confident heading into extra time and, and glad that it finally kind of came to fruition there um, late in the, in the second extra time period. I agree with you, actually, Adam. Uh, they looked tired, out of gas, shell-shocked. Um, I didn't think they were coming back at all, and I know they tried their best, but uh, honestly, uh, I think they were done. They were over and done. It was over. Uh, it was over for yeah. them, and Columbus was uh, – I'll give I, I give Nancy credit. Uh, th- he's really improved the Columbus crew as a strong second-half team uh, in these games. Just been unbelievable. But you know who else has been unbelievable? Darlington Nagby. What a cog yeah. he has been in that midfield for not just yeah. for the crew, but for Nancy as well. He's been tremendous for Columbus. Mm. Mm. Yeah, he's one of those players where you never really get tired of watching him, um, and he's another one that you never have to worry about what he's going to do. I think I could probably count on my fingers the amount of times he's, uh, he's placed a foot wrong um, this entire season, which is incredible. and. He's been doing it for I don't even know how many years, a long time in the league. He's going to play in his fourth MLS Cup final on Saturday, um, the second with Columbus. And he's one of those guys where, especially for Nancy and, and the crew and how they want to play, when you have a guy like him who can control the midfield and, and you know, it's like uh, the ball's stuck to his foot. You can't get it off him. It's just incredible. And um, one of those guys where it feels like I'm uh, – lucky to watch him play every week and I know there are a lot of crew fans who feel similarly and I, I think certainly one of the um, legends of the league and um, hopefully another guy who can get another cup on uh, on Saturday. Absolutely and now you have the opportunity to dethrone the defending MLS Cup champions in LAFC what Steve Cherundolo has done so far in two years has been incredible 
What will Nancy and the crew need to do to upset LAFC and to get their third MLS Cup championship? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think this is another really similar game. I, I so I write the some of the the game previews for um, for Massive Report, and I make the joke sometimes in those articles that the, the keys to success are usually the same, and um, they'll be the same again Saturday. Um, they need to do a really good job defending the counterattack, um, meaning like when they lose the ball, the, the crew typically do a good job of counterpressing and trying to apply pressure back quickly and win it to keep the other team from breaking out. Um, so that'll be a really key piece, and then they have to defend set, piece, set pieces really well as, um, as well just because I think LAFC scored like, I don't know, like four or five times off set pieces this postseason, and the crew aren't a great set piece defending team, so... Um, doing a good job defending those, being really organized, um, and, and trying to limit those opportunities that um, they give up on the set piece. And then I think the attack usually speaks for itself, and, and you always feel like the crew are capable of getting a couple goals. So for me, the focus is always on limiting the counterattack and, and set pieces and, and just making sure that the defense is stable enough to give the attacking guys a chance to go and do their thing. And you know, I think if they do that, I think it, it's going to be uh, uh, hopefully a happy day in, uh, in Columbus. Absolutely, and we'll see what happens on Saturday. Adam Miller of Massive Report joining us here tonight. Adam, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Good luck uh, next weekend, and we'll see what happens. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, and, uh, yeah, go crew. That was Adam Miller from the Massive Report as the Columbus crew defeat FC Cincinnati three goals to two in extra time. Joining me now, my good friend all the way in Los Angeles. He is the radio play-by-play voice of Los Angeles FC on ESPN LA. The one and only Dave Denholm joins me. Dave, welcome back. Long time no talk, my friend. Congratulations. I know you are excited to head over to the capital of Ohio this upcoming weekend. Yeah, can't wait to go back to my home state uh, for the for the crew. And, uh, yeah, go crew and take the Blue Jackets with you, Adam. So, uh, no, I'm kidding, of course. But, uh, yeah, I mean, tremendous matchup for this final, uh, Daniel. The two best teams, in my estimation, and the two best organizations and the way they're run in MLS, in my humble opinion. So it's going to be a good one. Oh, it really will be. You know, I got to tell you, Dave, you know, when you move on from Bob Bradley to Steve Terundolo, some would say that maybe yeah. LAFC might have taken maybe a step or two back. Not so. What Terundolo has done this year has been impressive, more impressive to what he has done last year to get this club to win the championship, but now to get it back in the championship in two consecutive seasons, excuse me, two consecutive seasons is just unbelievable. Yeah, I agree. You know, because look, we see it in all professional sports. It's hard to get back to where you were. It's hard to repeat when you win. And it's hard even to get back to another title game. Of course, LAFC have one more game to go before they can call it a repeat. But even to get back, as you say, Daniel, it's been an incredible achievement considering 50-plus games they've now played, over 50 games. It's a, it's a record in MLS with all the other competitions and just saw how it affected them at times this year. They weren't great during the regular season through stretches. There were some rough stretches 
for LAFC. And yet, Chirundolo has done a great job keeping this team focused for what is important, which is the postseason. And once you get going in it, you've got to stay on, stay on that roll, if you will, and continue to play your best ball at the right time. And I think, I think LAFC is doing that. No, they really are. And you just got to say that, uh, once again, uh, Chirundolo has really proven himself to be a top-notch coach in Major League Soccer since moving over from Las Vegas uh, Lights at USL Championship. Let's go ahead and review this Eastern Conference matchup, excuse me, Western Conference matchup against the Houston Dynamo, Dave. Early mm-hmm. on, Vela looking for the goal, looking to put them up ahead 1-0. Uh, he gets... Stopped by the bar in the second minute. Two minutes later, uh, it looked like he scored, but the offside flag went up. Yeah, he was way offside on that, and uh, I think everybody knew it. The first chance was a good one. The ball kind of got stuck just a little behind him, kind of got caught up in his leg, in his foot, you know what I mean? And he kind of scooped it. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I think he thought it was in, certainly. I think I thought it was in. And, uh, yeah, just, just nicked enough of the crossbar to keep it out. Uh, but, you know, just as importantly, Houston didn't hang their heads. They came right down, had a wicked chance in like the seventh minute. Hector Herrera delivered a perfect ball to the back post. Corey Baird ran on it perfectly time-wise and drilled the shot. But, boy, Maxime Crepeau was just a world-class save. And, Daniel, it was like the second straight match where Crepeau picked up a, just an, a blinding save within the first five to seven minutes of the match. He did it against Seattle, against Jordan Morris on a breakaway, and it changed both matches. I believe that. I, who knows what happens if LAFC give up the first goal in those games. You, know, you, you may not even be talking to me at this point. So full credit to Maxime Crepeau. Early save, kind of settled things back down after uh, Vela had hit the bar. And I think it, once Crepeau made that save, you know, Ryan Hollings had talked about it. LAFC felt very good about their chances against Houston. They want to give them the ball, let them own possession, and try to ticky-tock other way down the field. And LAFC just closed the door. They just slammed it shut every time, and the Dynamo just didn't have any answers. No, they really didn't, and uh, we'll get to Crepeau in a minute. But, you know, big goal, though, from Ryan Hollingshead, how he was able to get the rebound, and he just yeah. roofed the top shelf on uh, Steve Clark. Uh, I thought he made an excellent save there, Clark, but still, though, uh, Hollingshead, right place at the right time like he always is. I, I mean, obviously you expect Bowanga Vela to convert a chance like that, but with Hollingshead, you know he's always trailing the play. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I thought, and we've seen that from him throughout his years with FC Dallas too. He's a he's a goal scoring defender. Now, again, is he going to get you ten goals a year? No, he's not going to get those kind of opportunities. But he's dangerous on set pieces, not only with his head, but in the situations you're talking about—a second ball, a third ball in traffic—and let's remember, he's an offensive player in his youth, and by youth, I mean even up to college. So he has those abilities. He loves to get forward while still not, you know, abandoning his defensive responsibilities by any means. I think this is one of the best defensive seasons I've ever seen from him throughout his entire MLS career. And yet he, it, the offense doesn't suffer either. He gets into the attack. He's also very big, Daniel. Keep an ear and an eye out uh, for when you see Maxime Crepeau go down the right wing with any kind of free kick, any long ball. Hollingshead is always standing on the uh, the, you know, the touchline, the sideline, and he runs about 10 yards in on an angle 
which is basically where Crapeau delivers the ball every time because he knows Hollingshead's just going to win that ball forward. And it's been a weapon with Christian Oliveira on that right wing where Hollingshead will flick the ball forward, nobody's stopping him getting a running start and heading the ball, and they've worked that really well this season. No, they really have. Uh, it's just been amazing what uh, LAFC has done uh, to just basically stay afloat, remain in the top end of the Western Conference, and to just move forward and get the victories every single time, whether it's at BMO Stadium or on the road. But, of course, yeah. later on in the match, second half, it was a Steve Clark show was keeping everything out until the 80th minute when Friendly Fire put the ball in the back of his own net. And Franco Escobar, who was the hero against, Real, against uh, Sporting Kansas City, yeah. Yeah. became yeah. the GOAT, unfortunately. And we mean the GOAT as in a negative way. Uh, yeah. against LAFC, and uh, I guess you have to shake his hand to say thank you very much. Yeah, well, look, I mean, obviously, you don't really want to see that happen. Now, we'll take it. I'm not upset about it. Franco's a great guy, former LAFC player who won a championship with us last season. He's a winner. That guy wins everywhere he goes. I mean, you know, just with Atlanta – you know, winning a, a championship and a Campeones Cup with us winning a championship, winning the U.S. Open Cup with Houston, getting to the Western Conference Final. I mean, he's a winner. He just obviously got, his, got it wrong that time, got his feet tangled up, whatever you want to call it. It was a good opportunity by LAFC. They put Houston in a bad spot with that 4A forward and just the attack they were running. And it was well done by Denis Bawonga and Kiki Palacios. But, yeah, you feel bad for the guy because he is a great – we love him here at LAFC. I mean, always loved working with Franco. All, just a great teammate. Uh, you know, wish him well. Tough break. Not going to talk much about it. I'll take it. <laughs> you know, and, and, but it pretty much put the icing on the cake, Daniel, but I know Houston was breaking LAFC. When you're up 1-0, you never know. That break can happen to you, and then all of a sudden it's tied 1-1. You might be going to PKs, but yeah, I don't, Houston really didn't have any answers for what LAFC were proposing defensively. Yep, exactly. And now we can talk about Maxime Cripeau. I mean, look, that broken leg he suffered in the MLS Cup final against Philadelphia, mm. you know, that was very heartbreaking to watch that happen in the middle of the match. Uh, and to see him coming back, being so determined to be back to full fitness and to go and come back at this level, and being that yeah. dominant again yeah. in the goal, that that's just incredible from coming from him. I'm just so surprised to see him being, I would say maybe back at his back at full fitness, probably at his top peak. Yeah, that's what's the most surprising, I think. That's what's really surprising. Not that he got back. He was working his tail end off every day, no doubt. He wanted to get back as soon as possible. And you knew he was going to come back. But what's somewhat surprising is, you know, first of all, you got to get over it physically. We get that. He went down to LAFC two, did you know, played several matches with them, got the full strength. You could see he was ready physically, but it's also the mental aspect, Daniel. That was a gruesome, horrible injury. Basically, just making a play, trying to make a good play, doing what he had to do to maybe save the cup. As it turned out, it did, but we didn't know that at the time. But he, mentally, you also have to get over that. That took some time. He's done a great job. Honestly, too, the thing that surprised me the most, I think he's playing his best football. 
So you're right. Not only did he get back, he's back and better than ever, which has been a huge lift for this team. Uh, you know, John McCarthy did a great job. We got a fantastic backup, number two. But Maxime Crepeau is just playing at a different level right now than I've even seen him play at all. Absolutely, Dave. He's just been amazing to watch and amazing to uh, follow all season long. You know, I know LAFC, you know, they made a great run in the Champions League, now the Champions Cup, obviously, and they fell short, unfortunately, to Club Leon. Um, Early ouster of the Open Cup fell to the Campeones Cup, uh, League's Cup, unfortunately, falling as well. But give credit. With the amount of games that this club has played, as you've already said, 50, 50 games in a season, it's unheard of. And now they're at this point of the, of the postseason. I mean, what does that yeah. – how, how do you add that to Torundolo's coaching resume? Well, it's, it is impressive. There's no two ways about it. And I, I got to say, a lot of it does come down to they're, they're healthy, they're rested which every team in MLS has been basically throughout the playoffs because of the weird schedule and everything else. And it makes a difference with this team. There's no two ways about it. I mean, it's not, certainly it's not an, well, some positions may be a little older than others we can talk about, but it's not a young team and they need, they needed this rest and they are flying now and they're ready to go. Now, again, tough matchup with Columbus on the road. You never know. The crew are certainly capable but I would not bet against LAFC, and I know that's easy for me to say. Some people will say, yeah, no kidding, you're a homer. No, I just happen to think they're the best team. I really do. Now, again, Columbus Crew is going to have something to say about that. We know that. That's a great team. Not a good team, a great team. I mean, it's a conflict of styles, too, Daniel, which is kind of cool. LAFC does it a certain way. You've mentioned Steve Turundolo. He has his kind of input of what he wants to play, how he wants to play. But he does change it up for certain opponents, no doubt. He's not going to let Columbus Crew have 70% of the possession like he did with Houston, that's for sure. Uh, that would not be good. <laughs> we, we know how that would likely turn out. Uh, but, he, you know, he has this team ready. Some of those performances you talked about, you know, where they came up short, you know, Campione's Cup, it's nil-nil against a very tough team at Tigres. Okay, they lose on penalties as well. What are you going to do there, right? That's penalties or penalties. Right. You know, League's Cup, yeah, they just they absolutely ran into a buzzsaw where they had the lead, and all of a sudden a couple of really bad breaks, bad luck, whatever you want to call it, went against them, and Monterey is just that good. And, you know, the Champions League, that is the one I would look at and say, yeah, Leon took it to them, and they were tired, but no excuse. They got beat. But other than that, I mean, it's not as though they can't, you know, compete against every Mexican side, every MLS side. They're right up there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And for my money, they're just as good as anyone in this whole confederation. So you got to go do it. And thankfully, they've been turning it on in these po- this postseason. Uh, but again, Columbus Crews got the same type of story. They're just that good, too. So it, it is going to be a clash of styles, and it's going to be a good one. It really will be. Now, to preview this final against the Columbus crew, mm-hmm. what scares you about the crew facing LAFC? Because, you know, Wilfred Nancy, uh, I feel big mistake by Montreal letting him go and look what he's done. Obviously a slow start to their season. Uh, they've done wonders in the middle and they've finished it off with a flourish at the moment until we get to the final. 
What what worries you facing the crew for LAFC coming up this weekend? When you're a team that is relentless offensively, right, and you never seem to kind of get down mentally, that scares me. That should scare every opponent. If you're if you're a team like that, you're always in it. You're always alive, and you're always got to be feeling good about your chances because they are a great offensive team. They're relentless. They know what they want to do. They know how they want to play, and it doesn't matter if it's not going quote unquote well for them for a short stretch. They're just not going to quit. And I know it's a cliche, but that it's not a cliche when it comes to the Columbus Crew. And we saw that against Cincinnati. It's easy for me to say that right now because we have certainly evidence. But they they're always like that. Even when they lose, Daniel, they're just like, it's, it is a good match to watch. They're a fun team to watch from a neutral standpoint because they just won't stop. And they've got the weapons now. You know, I, look, no disrespect to Lucas Zellerian. Not at all. Fabulous player. I think Diego Rossi fits in better with what Wilfred Nancy team around him with Cucho and, and even Christian Ramirez as super sub or if they, you know, depending on how they want to use him. The wing play, tremendous. I mean, it's all scary, frankly. Uh, you know, it's going to be a real battle for who gets to play the way they want to play. And that's going to do, go an awful long way in determining who's going to win this MLS Cup. And honestly, they are the toughest opponent as I looked at the East. I don't say that lightly. There's some very good teams in the East. No two ways about that. But even before the playoffs started, I just felt like Columbus Crew would be the toughest opponent for anybody, uh, especially, you know, just certain styles of play. They're a tough matchup for anybody coming out of the West. Yep, I agree with you there. This is going to be a great match. This is going to be a barn burner. I really think we're going to have a lot of fun. Dave, safe trip to Columbus for yourself and, of course, for LAFC. I hope you're going to enjoy being back in your home state. I know you're a big uh, Cleveland man, and uh, hopefully uh, Columbus won't disappoint for you. Good luck on the weekend, and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. But go ahead, please. Real quick, Daniel, you can appreciate this, because I know we go way back. The very first MLS game I ever went to was a Columbus Crew game at Ohio Stadium, where they first played in 1996. The Buckeyes, you know, Ohio Stadium at the time was – the Ohio State yep. football stadium. They didn't have their own stadium yet. Yeah, that was the very first match I ever saw in MLS. I wasn't a fan of the crew per se. You know, didn't hate them, but I wanted to go down and see an MLS game in 1996. So I went there. No, absolutely. <laughs> full circle. No, absolutely. Full from 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 the Ohio State football stadium to Columbus yeah. Crew Stadium, now lower.com field. Don't blame you at all, my good friend. Thank you for joining me tonight, and uh, safe trip, safe travels back to Columbus. All the best to you and yours, Daniel. I love talking to you, buddy. You take care. Same here. You too. Thanks a lot. Dave Denholm, radio voice of LAFC on ESPN Radio LA, as he will be calling the game for the LAFC supporters, local radio there. Uh, It's going to be a fun time, and once again, it's going to be this coming weekend. It will be the Columbus Crew hosting LAFC, and that match will be seen live, not only on the MLS Season Pass on Apple TV, also on Fox National, Fox Deportes, 
at 4 Eastern, 1 Pacific. I want to thank my guests tonight, Adam Miller from The Massive Report, covering the Columbus crew, and of course, Dave Denholm, radio voice of LAFC on ESPN Radio Los Angeles. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for listening to me tonight. Join me next week as we'll review the MLS Cup Championship on Tuesday, December the 12th. Once again, my name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care. So long and have a good night. Bye-bye for now. So long, everybody.